0: Hello, good evening and welcome to the latest edition of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, My name's Khan, one of your your usual uh, guests. Um, I'm joined tonight by Paul. Evening, Khan. You may notice we are without our usual host, uh, Dan, uh, who's unfortunately uh, stuck travelling back from European duty um, on a long-away trip from Kazakhstan. And has uh, been unable to land in time and clear through the uh, COVID uh, quarantine zone. So he will be uh, hopefully back with us uh, next week. Um, So you're left with with Paul and myself for tonight. (laughs) Um, But uh, given that the the European football has has started back up this week, um, and obviously the first round of... Champions League group games has happened. We thought that we'd uh, we'd have a bit of a chat about the state of the European game and sort of run through some of the um, some of the results, particularly focusing on on those of, of the English teams. One of which uh, I have many thoughts on, um, which won't shock you. Which one? Uh, but we'll come on to that perhaps in a bit. But it, Paul, it, it's it's been an interesting year really for for European football and particularly some of the big clubs. Obviously, we we touched on the Super League. Earlier in the year, maybe we won't need to come on to that right now because I think that's been been talked through enough. Um, but the, the, there seems to be a change in the wind in in terms of the balance of power in in, in Europe, and a lot of the big clubs um, are, are struggling. Um, notably, the big the big clubs in Spain are in a really bad bad situation, um, and obviously Lionel Messi has now left Barcelona um, after a, quite an acrimonious sort of year or so there. And, and lots of internal politics going on in Barcelona like where what do you think what do you think of the state of European football and, and where, where where's where, where's it going what do the next few years look like for some of those uh, some of those big old uh, European clubs
1: yeah, I think it's a really interesting time. I think the balance of power is is swinging definitely towards the shores of the Premier League at this moment in time. Um, obviously, we had two English sides uh, contest the final last year. You go back two years from them, we had another two English sides contest the final in in Liverpool and Liverpool. Um, and Tottenham. So, in the last three seasons, we've had four different English teams make the the Champions League final. Uh, four different Premier League teams. I think that tells you the strength of the Premier League. I think it also tells you a little bit about the financial position of the rest of Europe um, and the rest of the the leagues that you know you would normally be looking to. Uh, Serie A. It's a few years now since um, since Juve managed to make that final, isn't it? I think they got to a final in the mid mid part of the last decade didn't they and lost to in fact I think they got to two lost one to Barcelona and one to Real Madrid didn't they um under Allegri the first time he was there so it's it's been a while for Italian clubs you'd have to go back probably to to Inter with Jose is that the last mm, Italian must be yeah, winner must of be. the Champions League and that's what 2009 maybe um to, around then certainly it was Maybe 2009, 2010, it's in It's in that kind of era. It was 10, I think, yeah. 2010. Uh, you know, that's a long time for Italian football to go without winning a, a Champions League. Clearly, Spain dominated a lot of the last decade with, with that great Barcelona side and then giving way to that great Real Madrid side. But as you've already touched on, those two are not the forces of old. Real have started okay at home they had, uh, in the league. They had a good win the other night in the Champions League against Inter. Um, I think they scored late on, didn't they, in that game. Yeah, yeah. Barcelona got absolutely bashed by Bayern Munich, or will come on to. Uh, I think the balance of power, you know, even looking now at that Real Madrid side, there's still some older statesmen who are key parts of it. They have started the process, obviously, in recent years of, of rebuilding. Ronaldo's gone, Ramos has gone. So some of those core cool pieces have moved on. But it's still a bit of a rebuilding job at, at Madrid. Obviously, Varane moved on this summer. Um And you're looking around, really, or I'm looking around for teams who are going to realistically have a chance to be in a final that aren't from the Premier League. And I get to the two who made the final in between those two All-Premier League finals. PSG, I know their result last night maybe didn't knock anybody's socks off, but PSG, with the talent they have and with the money they have, and Bayern Munich. And I look aside from those, and I'm struggling to find a team that I could see making a Champions League final. Uh, it, it feels to me like the six best uh, six best teams in Europe are uh, the kind of the top four from last year in the Premier League: um, City, Chelsea, United, and Liverpool, uh, and PSG and and Bayern Munich. Um yeah. I, I, I mean, we'll come on to Manchester United in the bit. They obviously didn't get off to the start that the others did. But but I I can't see anybody outside of those six making a final. It would be a surprise to me for any other club to end up in the final this year, and I think that's a worry for European football because, um, you know, Bayern Munich have won their league for goodness knows how many years straight. They just churn out title after title. I know PSG had a bit of a blip last year, but generally they've just been churning out title after title in in France. Juventus had a blip last year, but was it nine in a row before that mm-hmm. in Italy? Yeah. Um, now, OK, the Spanish league has managed to stay competitive with Real and Barcelona and Atletico, so there's at least been a little bit of a title race most years in Spain, and, and it has gone back and forth between those three clubs, um, but I don't think any of them are maybe the force they were five, six seasons ago when the Spanish league was was probably the best in Europe, um, and, and it's... It doesn't bode well, I don't think, for the future of European football if we're talking about European competitions staying um, genuine competitions and not becoming the Super League that we talked about in the summer where it's the same, you know, eight or ten or twelve big clubs that just play each other over and over again because you can't see a surprise team suddenly winning the, the Bundesliga and then going on a great run in the Champions League the next season.
0: No, no exactly.
1: You, you, you I mean can't I can't
0: imagine that happening anymore. No, no. I mean I I I've I've some thoughts on that which I'll come on to in a I minute, mean, but I was going to say I think the only club I could see outside of that sort of super elite would be someone like Atletico, um just because of the maybe consistency they've got and and you know they're probably the strongest team in in Spain at the moment, obviously Griezmann's rejoined them. They're, they're probably the only ones, but even then, it would be an outside punt. I mean, I'm, I, I don't think. For and a second I suppose will. they've done
1: it before, haven't they? Mm.
0: Against all odds, made the final. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I suppose I can see an argument for that. But yeah, they're, they're probably the, the only ones. Um, but is it? I mean, is it? Is it as simple as the Premier League has the most money, is the richest league in the world? You know, gets all the TV money, therefore they get the best players. Therefore, they do the best in Europe. I mean, is it is it as simple a formula as that? Or is that is that Because obviously, that hasn't been the case for the last 20 years. And you could argue the Premier League's probably been the richest league for mm. the last 20 years. So what's different now to, say, five years ago when, when so Real I think, and Barca were, were winning it, you know, yeah, as you said? I think it's a good point, Con, because I don't think it is it's
1: just as simple as saying the Premier League's the richest league and therefore it wins all the time. Because you're right, it was still the richest league when it wasn't winning all the time. It's been the richest league in Europe for... A number of years. I think what you had though was this cadre of of super clubs in those other leagues, Juventus and PSG and Bayern and the three, including Atletico, the three clubs from Spain who were, were capable of being on a par with the Premier League. So while uh, the Italian League, if you'd played 8th in the Premier League against 8th in Serie A I, I think you'd have probably seen the Premier League win most years in the last 15 years. Um and similarly with, with eighth in the Premier League versus eighth in La Liga, I think eighth in the Premier League most years would have won that would have won that battle. Um I, I think the what was just the Premier League being deeper top to bottom is now becoming the Premier League also being better talent concentrated at the top. I mean you look at the squads that Manchester United and Chelsea and Manchester City have. And it is terrifying the amount of talent those three squads have got. I, I exclude Liverpool a bit from that because we've talked about this before on the podcast. While I think Liverpool's first eleven can still take on any team in the in the world on their day and give them a game, I don't think Liverpool have the depth of those other three. But you look at the squads. I mean, Chelsea and Manchester United—they are super squads.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: they are twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four players deep of of mm. real high-quality footballers. Um, and, and big names and people they've paid big prices for. And uh I don't think any of the other clubs in Europe can compete at, at this moment in time with that that level of um of spending power and of star power. And and it's become more attractive. I, I think the other thing that's changed is there was a period up until I'd say maybe six, seven years ago, where a certain type of player wouldn't have looked at the Premier League and thought I'd go there. Because they'd have thought, oh, I'm not sure that's going to suit my style of football. Um, I actually think, and it's ironic given how it ended for him, I actually think Mesut Ozil made a big sea change in coming to Arsenal. Because I think players of the Ozil type traditionally had avoided coming to the Premier League. Now, as it worked out, after a, a good first three or four years at Arsenal, you sort of saw why players like Mesut Ozil had never come to the Premier League before. Um, because of the way the game's played and and, and his sort of slightly languid style of play. Um, But I think you look now and and you are getting more and more of those kind of flair players saying, well, I've got no fear of going to England now. The game is played much more like it's played in the rest of Europe. It's much more about having possession of the ball. It's much more about um, trying to control and dictate territory. It's not about trying to dictate the middle of the park by flying into tackles at 100 mile an hour anymore you know you, you put on some of them i was watching one the other day one of those um sky years and yeah it was showing the highlights of one of those you know famous united and arsenal games and keen and vieira crunching into one another in the middle of the parks to eight or nine times any one of those tackles now would have been a straight yeah, card yeah. for either well, of them. <laughs> well
0: this is it you don't even have to go back that
1: far even no. like late noughties games you watch back now and it's like Crikey! <laughs> so, so I, I think what's changed in in conclusion is our football has become a bit more European league like, and that has meant that some of the thing that maybe put off players in the past, some of the real skillful, but kind of more languid style of player, the the De Bruyne's, who's a Rolls Royce of a footballer, um, that fear isn't there anymore. Now you can come and play in the Premier League and 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 actually show your skills, and I think it has caused to see change. You look where the stars are. Okay, there's there's a few stars at PSG, but beyond that, who else? The, the three, obviously, the front three at PSG. Um, Lewandowski, although clearly at the end of his career, and Haaland in, in Germany at Dortmund. Who are the other superstars who aren't playing in the Premier League? You know, he, mm-hmm. it, it is a smaller number. Um, and I think the the balance of power shifted. It's difficult to see how the um how some of those of the European leagues have been even worse affected by by COVID and the the financial implications of that than the Premier League have. It's difficult
0: to see how they sort of redress that balance any time in the immediate future. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. No, I think it's a really. Really good point. Um, I think, yeah, the question now is, because I think what we've always seen with, um, you know, when a certain country produces a number of, like, say Champions League finalists, that they tend to go in in patterns, you know, like Italy will have a go, and then it'll be the Premier League's turn, if you like, and then, then, you know, Munich might pop up, or Dortmund will have a good run, and then, then it'll go back to Spain. I guess what will be interesting to see now is there's a pattern emerging now of, okay, maybe now it's sort of the English League or the Premier League's turn, how long does that stay? Does it does it yeah. go back into the traditional cycle and two, three years from now, actually, we won't do so well and all of a sudden, you know, or actually, is this going to be a longer pattern because of all the reasons you've said? Because the balance of where finances are isn't going to drastically change anytime soon which is why some of the the club owners were so desperate mm. for this super league to try and yeah. redress that that's obviously you know despite despite florentino perez uh insisting <laughs> it's going ahead is is clearly dead in the water and isn't going to well happen. i think real madrid playing juventus
1: 84 times a season is probably not going to appeal
0: to anybody <laughs> no no so you know if we if we assume that is you know that that is sort of gone at least for now. now yeah yeah um and and therefore that you know the current situation is probably going to remain then yeah i mean it, it, are we in for are we sort of digging in for a slightly longer run of you know basically those those premier league 4 that you mentioned plus you know munich and psg um you know becoming the the sort of consistent finalists um you know is it going to be that sort of narrow pool for you know for more than just a couple of years you know is it going to be or 5 years from now it will still be those clubs. Um, well, I think
1: I think look, uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are two huge, incredibly successful, incredibly famous football clubs. Um, and if people have only been watching football since sort of the year two thousand, they might be sort of kidded into believing that they've always been dominant forces in European football. But you know, go back to when I was younger in the nineties. I think Barcelona made one final, didn't they? They, they uh, Sampdoria in the early nineties uh, to win the European Cup. Mm. Um, Real Madrid won one final against Juventus in the in the late nineties, but they weren't every year. Uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid it was much more AC Milan and Juventus who seemed to be in the final every single year for, for, for that kind of 1990s period at least one of them seemed to make the final every single season and um, culminating in that awful game in the early noughties when they both made the final and nobody had a shot it was dreadful yeah yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know uh, um, so I think it does go in in stages and Spain's probably had 20 years where they've produced I would guess more finalists than any other country. Um, you know, you go back. Not only has it had uh, Atletico two, or maybe even three times, um, Barcelona numerous times, Real Madrid numerous times, but you also had Valencia made a couple of finals, didn't they? At the the yeah, start of with Rafa, um, the start of the uh, century. Um, so Spain's probably had the most finalists of any club in the in the 21 years of the of the 21st century so far, but I do think we might see now a period where it switches for for a five six year period. I don't think it'll last forever. Real Madrid will be back. Barcelona will be back. They're too big not to be. Frankly, they're too well supported worldwide. They've got too many revenue streams. But they're both in the process. Madrid, I, I would say, is a, a rebuild of the team i'd say barcelona are almost in a complete reset of the club which is a bit more fundamental and you know we did that terrific podcast last year didn't we where we where we talked about um with with a guest about the situation at barca yeah um so i think uh, They they will be back, but it may take a little bit of time. I don't think it's necessarily that you're just going to flick a switch and suddenly Real Madrid will be back
0: in a Champions League final. That that to me
1: seems ambitious.
0: No, and this is it. I mean, I think Barca in particular are are in you know probably the 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 worst crisis they've been in as as a you know, off the pitch, um, which is obviously now translated to on the pitch, and that they haven't retained certainly the services of Messi for another year or so. Um, But you know they're now trying to essentially have a fire sale of. You know some of the, uh, you know, less illustrious, expensive buys that they've that they've done over the last five years or so. Um, so I think it will, you know, it will it will take them a while. Um, just just because they, you know, they, they with every year they don't address it, they'll fall further behind. But but as you yeah. say, they have they have that name right. So once they're at a point where we say okay, now we can sort of properly start recruiting again, there will never be a shortage of players who want to play for Barcelona um and yeah. same with real madrid and they can they can trade off that they'll all, they'll always have that indeed um, and it's the same that manchester united had it
1: when you know when a few years in the doldrums there's actually a bit of a draw if you're a superstar player at that stage to go and be the, the lightning bolt, the spark that turns around a Manchester United or a Barcelona or a Real Madrid, you know, uh, or you think back to when Dennis Bergkamp signed for Arsenal and was very much the lightning spark for that, that Wenger generation. Uh, there is an appeal to a player to be that kind of transformative guy who turns it all round again. I suppose Cristiano, to an extent, Madrid had only had a few years of, of struggle, but when he signed for Real Madrid from, from United, they'd struggle to, Compete with that great Barcelona team for a few years, and and he was kind of the one that put them back almost on that level pegging. Yeah. Um. I mean, not quite level pegging, but almost in that level pegging stage, and then ultimately had that that run of three consecutive Champions League. So, um.
0: Well, I, I think I think that's why, and you know, I think um, obviously the, the 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 name that they're now almost synonymous with is, is Mbappe yeah who they obviously failed to get this summer but if you read between the lines it's almost like well psg don't need to sell him if he wants to go i think they 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 probably think well let's have a year of the, that that ridiculous front line that they've now got and you know and let him go and if he if he does want to go which it seems he does then that could be that you know he could be that player for them that then kick starts it again because then obviously yeah. everyone will want to play with mbappe um so i i I would see Real Madrid coming back if if we use that term you know sooner than than Barcelona just because I think Barcelona really does sound like they're in a mess um and as you said it is that you know would you phrase it you know, resetting of the club almost yeah um yeah. I think they have a lot more work to do whereas I think with 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 Madrid it's more of an an on the pitch rebuild um which is a a little bit easier to address um but uh, yeah, the the only other point I wanted to make just around around the European game, perhaps before we before we touch on some of the results, is just around. And I think you mentioned it before about you know a club emerging from somewhere and, and going on a run, and it's it's just how brutally now those, those clubs that that dare to poke their heads above the parapet for a season or two get sort of picked apart by the you know those basically those six clubs that you mentioned before mm. and you know the european giants i was just thinking about it earlier how when obviously you mentioned mbappe obviously he, he he sort of emerged on the scene in that monaco side yeah you know that did terrifically well a few years ago we had um you know we had that that, that great ajax resurgence that lasted you know a season one season. Um, yeah. before they got picked apart um you know napoli obviously um you know emerged a few years ago and then obviously sort of sari got you know sort of the chelsea job and, and took jorginho with him Atalanta have emerged as a good side and again they've been picked apart mostly by other Italian teams um, but you know the likes of Juve and Milan have, have nicked players of them obviously Diallo came to United um, and and the other one you know sort of Leipzig who are perhaps a bit iffy because you know they're, of the way that they're run and funded but even they have you know they've obviously their managers now gone to Bayern they've had you know Werner went to Chelsea you know and other players have left as well um, so you know th- those are all, all clubs who've Dared to have a good year or two um, yeah. beyond what people expect of them, and it's it's they are pushed firmly back down in their place um, by the big clubs who who just sort of who you know Hoover up their their key three four five players, um, and that that just makes sure that they're they're not a threat again. It's like well we've dealt with them now. Um, I mean that... closer to home we saw that I know Leicester are quite in equivalent because their wing came from
1: nowhere to an extent, but we saw it close at home with Leicester and then, and then Mahrez, Kante, Danny Drinkwater. Maybe that one was a mistake, but, <laughs> but Mahrez, Kante, Drinkwater, yeah. key players in that, in that league yeah, winning yeah. team.
0: And Vardy this almost, year, of course, in. went, didn't but he?
1: Vardy, Vardy ummed an didn't he? You know, mm. he was, he was close at one point to signing for Arsenal. He, he ummed an over it for a couple of days and decided, you know, to stay at Leicester, which he might look at now and say he made the right decision, but, um, yeah, it, you, you know, Arsenal won a couple of trophies in that time as well and, and Leicester won the FA Cup last season. So, uh, it, it, is, it is the case that you don't get much opportunity if you do suddenly put a good team together to kind of build and come back the next year and go again because you try and come back the next year and 80 of your players have have been (laughs) poached by somebody else and it does make it really difficult. I mean, that Monaco one was a complete fire sale. Uh, Pretty much everybody had left within 12 months. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, But, um, yeah, okay, well, look, I think we've we've sort of set – European football to rights to a, to <laughs> a degree um but uh, so obviously the the Champions League you know is back we've had we've had the 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 two the two sets of uh of first games it's been a largely positive story um for for English teams obviously with the exception of Manchester United who maybe we'll come on to them in a, in, in just a sec but um you know Liverpool was I don't know if you saw the games Paul I mean I saw the Liverpool game and I was sort of keeping half an eye on the on the City game, which was also sort of quite entertaining in its own right. Um, but, uh, yeah, generally, you know, the, I think those, you know, Liverpool, Chelsea and, and City will be will be sort of pretty happy and job done after the first game, would you think? Yeah,
1: I would think so. I think um, certainly Manchester City. I know Leipzig stayed in that game for a little bit. I, I kind of had that on really. But um, City always looked like they'd got another gear, to be honest, that they could just go to when they needed to. Um, I didn't see the Chelsea game the night before. It sounds like it was a pretty sort of routine 1-0 to the Chelsea, which there is a bit of that about the, the Thomas Tuchel side. Definitely. They've got some of that old Jose Mourinho first time round resolve about them, big and physical and strong. I thought with Liverpool, obviously a good win in the end, um, having been 2-1 down. Interesting that they left Van Dyke out. They they tried to rest Van Dyke. I think he picked up a knock on international duty as well. Um defensively, again, we saw it last season when he missed time. It isn't just how good a defender he is. It's that he is the back line. And when he mm. doesn't play, they don't seem to have the, quite the same organization. Now, some people might say, well, he isn't really a of organization. I don't know that I buy that. I think it isn't just that he's a brilliant defender. Defender. Um, I think he is properly the leader of that back four, and without him, they always look to me as though they've got a bit of a soft underbelly. Um,
0: I, I it think kind of probably not. Signed him, yeah, probably not. Helped by the fact it was Gomez's first game back as his replacement yeah. as well. The poor lad. So it's uh, yeah,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. But you know, gave away two really poor goals. Um, came back and won the game, so they'll be happy with that. I think. I think Liverpool will get through the group. Um, but I think. I think Manchester United's the one that obviously. Bears mention because we talked about it last time, or maybe two two podcasts ago, right? When they made the draw and said it's kind of typical that Manchester United get an easy draw most years in the Champions League and make it seem much more difficult than they should be getting out of the group stage. And I actually there was a stat that came out after they lost the other night. In the last fifteen seasons before this one, Manchester United have failed to get out of the Champions League group stage on four occasions. Qualified for the group and failed to get past the group stage on four occasions. The only other English team who've done it more than once is Liverpool, who failed twice to get out of the group. I think once with Benitez at the end and once with Brendan Rodgers. But for an English club, any English club really, given the resources they have available to them, we've already touched on that, to get into the Champions League as many times as United have and and not get past the group four times in 15 years, is not a good record, and when you consider the amount of money Manchester United have spent on
0: that, you yeah. know certainly yeah, the money there's... they've spent in the last four years, it's it's just terrifying. There's, yeah, there's 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 no there's no excuses now. I mean, I think I was really really frustrated with how we we threw it away last year um, because again that was a group we we should have you know gotten out of comfortably, and we we made hard work for it and made some really stupid mistakes. Um, and the one thing I really wanted this year, because I I wasn't convinced, certainly pre-signing Ronaldo, despite the money we'd spent, that we were like genuinely really going to go go for the title this year. Um, but the one thing I really wanted us to do was to like make a bit of a fist of it in Europe, because I, I thought we'd be a bit of a scrum for second, third, and fourth of the Premier League, and you know that may well be you know what what happens. I don't know. I think you know probably mm. a bit more confident now we've got Cristiano on the books again, but. Um, you know, I thought it'd be good to like set a bit of a marker down for Europe almost as a, you know, we're 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 back and get to kind of the latter stage of the knockouts. I never thought you know, I I didn't think and I still think that we'll we'll win the Champions League this year or anything like that. But just to get towards, you know, at least the quarterfinals, um, would would have been really good to kind of show that we can we can compete at sort of knockout football at a at a higher level, um, than just the Europa League, which is obviously, you know, we've got to two finals and won one of them in the post Fergie era but it's ultimately it's the second tier competition um so to kind of go a bit further in the top tier competition i think is is would have been really good um but we need to get out the group to even have a chance of doing that and you know losing away against you know maybe the weakest team in the group in the first game you know isn't uh, isn't a good sign um hopefully it might serve as a bit of a kick up the backside um and i know it's a you know stupid mistake at the end that ultimately meant it was a loss rather than a draw but the fact that it was what was it two shots on goal and ronaldo's goal was the second of those shots <laughs> so yeah. to then not have that that is worrying and that's what i think a lot of the press has focused on that um you know how can you with all that you know that talent that you know you've just talked about um that united's now acquired and is is on that pitch um how is that not flowing together to um you know, to create more more chances than that and more opportunities, it's 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 not acceptable, and it needs to be it needs to be rectified. Otherwise, that will be a concern. Um, you know, like we've said before, I, I think Ole is 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 safe for now, um, and I don't think, like you said about the Arsenal manager, there's great desire in the United hierarchy to to, to dispense with him. To be quite honest with you, um, but equally, now that you know fans are back in the stadium and things like that. Um, that frustration will start to show if, if if the next game, you know, at home in the Champions League, for example, if we put in an equally limp display, yeah. then you know people will start to, uh, to to you know to let the team and the manager know exactly how they feel about that. It seems to me a little bit common with with Ole, so he seems to have got his first eleven
1: sort of settled at Manchester United now, and when he's got his first team on the pitch, they look like they have a bit of a settled shape and system and way of playing. As soon as he does what he did a little bit on um, Tuesday night uh, and tries to rotate and bring some fresh bodies in, they seem to lose a bit of cohesion and lose it quite dramatically. Um, and I wonder if he, he's struggling a little bit as manager to, you know, he's a relatively inexperienced manager, as we know, at the top level. And he's, he's struggling to work out how do you do that kind of clever rotation where you can change four or five and actually the pattern of play still looks the same and the shape still looks the same and the team still looks effective. And I don't think he's quite worked that bit out yet.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a, yeah, it's a fair point, but he's going to need to cause he has got a, a decent size squad yeah. and when fighting on, on four fronts, um, yeah, that's going to need play to be the same a, a regular week. thing. Yeah, ex- exactly. So um he is going to need to figure that out and, and, and smartish and, um, you know, particularly in, in the Champions League, because I think now with, you know, with the investment made and, you know, people like Ronaldo coming back, he, you know, you know, he's obviously won, you know, a ridiculous amount of, of Champions League winners medals. Um, I think he might have five or even six, possibly. Um, you know, he'll be he'll be sort of pushing, you know, to go further and we'll have that expectation. And um, yeah, he'll he'll all will need to almost match his standards to a degree. Um
1: and I, I don't mean, when I when I say that about the rotating the squad, people will say to me, well, you know, look at the names and look at the amount of money that was still on the pitch the other night for United. I'm not suggesting in any way they played a weakened team and that excuses a defeat. I'm just suggesting he made four or five personnel changes from, from the weekend. Again, he's got the quality in the squad to be able to do that. But every time he does it, it seems as though it, it leads to a disjointed performance. Yeah. So I'm not saying there's an excuse for United in terms of somehow, it's not like they played the kids right
0: no absolutely um, that that was a strong side that was yeah, a strong was a team strong um, absolutely a slightly rotated side and seemed to lose some cohesion as a as a result yeah no i can, can completely agree yeah it was not a weakened team by any stretch um in, in any way like you say the <laughs> squad depth is there um
1: no, Although we did play this guy named Donny Van der Beek, I, I presume he must be a youth <laughs> team player because I've never seen him before.
0: Yeah, well, it, apparently I think I read that he actually played him in all the group games last season. So right, maybe okay. that's maybe that's his scapegoat. I'm not sure. He, he only plays um, Van der Beek in Europe. Yeah, something like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it's a bit of a bit of a quirk, but um, yeah, an interesting one. But uh, like I say, I, hopefully it will it will just serve as a bit of a a bit of a kickback side. Um, because yeah, that, that that can't keep keep happening, and I'll be bitterly disappointed if we if we don't get out of this uh, don't get out of this group this year. Um, and like you said, I'm I'm pretty confident the other English sides will. So it will be a- embarrassing if we don't. I think. Um, yep. But yeah, so so do you, would you back all the given even given what we've said? I mean, would you back the English sides to all, all get out the groups?
1: Yeah, I think we should all get out of the groups. I don't think there's any excuse for an English team in the Champions League not getting out of a group these yeah. days.
0: Yeah, no, I'd I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, any other of the the sort of European results that that, that sort of caught your eye? Well, I, I did watch a little
1: bit of the of the Barcelona and and Bayern Munich game, and I, I mean, we've already touched on both of those teams to an extent, but I, it was just a complete mismatch, Khan. It was like a lion playing with a mouse, frankly. And and for that to happen to Barcelona, um, just just demonstrates what we've already said about the state they're in. But that was the other game I watched. I thought it to be a, a you know, accepting where where Barcelona are at the moment. I thought it to be a competitive match and. Frankly, it wasn't.
0: Yeah, I've not. I've actually not seen any of the the footage of that one, or even even the goals. I've seen highlights and goals of the uh, the games involved with the English teams. I've not not managed to catch any of that one. But yeah, even the result itself. Um, and obviously, they there was that sort of infamous now. You know, what was it? The eight two um, from last year as well. Uh, that uh, I think is still sort of probably smarting in the minds of of some of those Barca players as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, well, I think maybe let's just have a quick chat through, um, obviously we're in between, uh, rounds of Premier League games, um, but, uh, Crystal Palace, I think, surprised a lot of people, um, with that convincing win against Tottenham, who were previously top of the league. Um, is, is Vieira starting to show us what he's made of?
1: Well, I mean, it was a very good result and a very good performance, uh, um, obviously Spurs had a man sent off and that plays into it. But I think even at, at 11 v 11, Palace were, were, were doing pretty well in the game. Um, you know, I, I think they've made some, some good moves at the end of the transfer window. We talked about Edouard, didn't we, on here when we did the, the podcast on deadline day. I thought that was a snip at 14 million. He came on and, and got two goals. So um, if Crystal Palace can find a goal scorer, they'll be fine. If Edward does turn out to be someone who can get, 18 goals in the Premier League, they'll be absolutely fine because it's been a problem for them, right? In recent years, they've not had a regular goal scorer who who is going to get the goals in those tight games. Um, I'd love to see Patrick Vieira do well. He's he's my favourite Arsenal player of all time. I think he's an absolute hero. Um, I I was sceptical about him coming into Palace, particularly in the situation they were in and we talked about the turnover in players there over the summer. But look, you know, They've got slowly better, haven't they? Since getting thrashed at Chelsea on the opening day, and you beat Spurs three 0 at home. Okay, Spurs had a man sent off, but
0: you you, you can't you can't turn your nose up at that result. No, no, absolutely. Um, no, I've not seen uh, not seen a lot of it, but um, yeah, definitely raised raised a few eyebrows. I think so. I'll have to wait and see if it's a sort of one of those flash in the pan results that just the Premier League throws up from time to time, or whether it's a you know a start of, of maybe a decent decent run for them. Yeah um a a a team not, not doing so well who are still winless, um Leeds United, who um you know obviously got off to a, a great start last season and had a had a great season for a newly promoted team. Is it a bit of the old second season syndrome kicking in there? Maybe. I think teams might have widened up a little bit to the
1: way Leeds play. Um that said, you know obviously, they were still in the game against Liverpool when the the red card happened. I think you know Harvey Elliott looks as though he's, his operation's gone well, and that's that's good news for him. It was a horrible injury albeit i i I don't think it was a bad tackle necessarily. I think it was one of those slightly freak things um but uh yeah, I thought uh, it, they were still in the game at that point and, and maybe they, they might've got something out of it. Once that happened, they were, they were probably dead in the water, but, but they haven't had a great start. Their, their results have not, you know, not been the start that they would have hoped for. I think it's fair to say they drew at Burnley, didn't they? Um, I think just before the international break, they drew at home with, uh, with Leeds. So the, uh, with, Everton, sorry, they got they got smashed at Manchester United. They'd have hoped to be more competitive, I think. Yes, it's not the easiest start on paper. Uh, but I think teams have just wound up a little bit to the way they play and they, they've looked a bit leakier defensively. When they came up, I think everyone expected that. And actually, the first bit of last season, they were pretty decent defensively. They had a bit of a blip later in the year where they started letting goals in. But, uh, yeah, I... I still feel like Leeds have got enough good players that they're not going to be in that bottom five or six, but they will want to sort of kick themselves into gear quickly because when you are only up one year and it starts to go wrong, we saw it last year with um, with Sheffield United. I think Leeds have got better players than Sheffield United, but it, you've only been up one year. You've had one good season. It starts badly and everyone sort of thinks, oh, here we go. You know, was everything that happened before a bit of a fluke? Um I think they play at at Newcastle tomorrow night, don't they, in the Friday night game? They do. And that's a massive football match for both clubs. So early in the season, it's a massive football match. If Leeds win that and get a bit of momentum going, I I can see Leeds having a little run and getting themselves out of danger. But if they were to go to Newcastle, who we might talk about in a minute, need the win themselves, if they were to go to Newcastle and lose that game, I think there would be a bit of panic setting in.
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to come on to. That, um, yeah, they're they're off to St James's Park for tomorrow night's game, and Newcastle are another team right down there, winless. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh to be at um Old Trafford at the weekend, um, not specifically to watch Newcastle United. It has to be said. Um, there was other other things uh, that had uh, <laughs> t- tickled my interest, but um. But 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 yeah, obviously Newcastle were the uh, the sort of unfortunate victims kind of served up for that game, and uh, yeah, I have to say, I mean, you know, fair play to them, they they did come through, you know, they, they broke and equalised. Um, you know, we had a bit of a lapse in concentration, but you know, as soon as uh, as soon as we went two one up, you sort of knew then that the the, the result was safe, and um, some of the some of the goals, you know, that the last couple were, you know, really really sloppy. I think, and you know, I think Steve Bruce expressed his disappointment in, in how they'd uh, how they'd handled themselves in those situations. And I think there's, from what I understand now, there's a bit of a, a war of words ensuing where I think he's had a bit of a nibble at the press um, and also kind of indirectly at some of the fans as well. And it, not good signs, I don't think. You know, they've never, they didn't really ever want him and they've not warmed to him. And now he's under fire and winless after, you know, a few games into the season. It's, it's is it sort of, does it feel like it's inevitable now? Um, or is there something there that he can salvage?
1: I don't think it's an while inev- I don't think it's inevitable. Wireless ownerships in place at Newcastle because I think they've shown that they are willing to stick with managers even when they're not necessarily very popular. They've done that before. Um, you know, I, I'm Alan Pardew wasn't a popular manager, was he in Newcastle? And yet he he never seemed to be under any pressure from the hierarchy. So. <laughs> I don't think it's quite inevitable yet. I think Bruce has an opportunity now where they, I think it's Leeds and then Watford and then Wolves. Who you know, Wolves have, have started to kick in now. But you'd look at that and go, "There's three games there where you could you could target some points for Newcastle and try and move yourself out of that um, out of that bottom three. I think if they get seven, eight games into the season and they're still winless, um, then he will start to come under very, very severe pressure, and then it might be the case for. Mike Ashley, of of him feeling he has to make a change. Um, I don't know who the obvious go-to, you know, park drive manager of the minute is. Uh, I don't think it is Mark Hughes anymore, although <laughs> although Dan Dan would no doubt mention him if he were here. Um, I don't know if it's Eddie Howe or who it is, but uh, I, I think you would start to see the vultures circling if, if it's another, again, a bit like we talked about with Arteta at Arsenal, the next international break, at the end of October is a, a really big point um, uh, when, or middle of October, when teams also start to assess where they are and, and look at whether they've, whether they've had the start they want to have had. I think the other thing that goes against Steve Bruce is there was always that perception that Rafa got no money to spend, and that Bruce has had money to spend. Um And As a result, I think while his results are pretty comparable with Rafa's, people will still turn around and say, well, yeah, but he should be doing better than Rafa because he's had money and and Rafa's not. And you also have to admit that are they still down with with two or three goalkeepers who've who've been down with various ailments, COVID and whatever else? Um, It's difficult to start the season with your third or fourth choice goalkeeper and goal. Um, So I think... There are extenuating circumstances. I think Ashley will want to stand by his man, but if we're still here in a month's time, then I think it probably does become inevitable that Bruce will get will get sacked and Newcastle will look around for whoever the next you know most obvious person is. Yeah,
0: and I think that's that's the thing really. It's um, you know who is who is that person going to be and, and and ultimately what what situation is going to be different for them in terms of you know resources and and the and the state of the club. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I'm not saying the fans shouldn't be unhappy but equally you know where will they go um, with, a, with a new manager who will be in the sort of let's face it same bracket of manager as Bruce is um, yeah. realistically they were fortunate to get someone of, of Rafa's calibre uh, for the time that they had him um, yeah reali- and, and with, with the same you know if the ownership remains un- unchanged and the management of the club remains unchanged yeah what what's going to drastically change for them i'm i'm not so sure mm. um okay well i think that's been a good sort of whistle stop tour through um through most of our, our agenda i don't know if there's anything else that sort of caught your eye through the week paul you want to throw in before we uh, before we close out just two very quick bits of managerial news today
1: con i suppose the the Sean Dyche contract extension at Burnley which I, I think did surprise me a little bit because I, I keep being surprised that he's willing to stick it out <laughs> at Burnley given the circumstances yeah. he works under. He's been in there nine years now which in the, in the modern game is an absolute lifetime um, but I think a four year extension for him and and Woney's assistant which you know, congratulations to them obviously and it, I think it does show Burnley would even if this is the year when they finally drop I think Burnley would stick by Sean Dyche I don't think there'd be any thoughts of getting rid of him Whether he'd then walk away at that point, I don't know. But I think he'd have to do it of his own volition. I just don't see Burnley pulling the the trigger. Um, And nor should they. Uh, And on the flip side, Chris Hewton lost his job today at at Nottingham Forest. Um, I thought when he went there last season, he would be the right man to get that club turned back round. I actually tipped him for a, a top six place at the start of this season for a playoff spot. I thought again, while manager knows that league would find a way of getting him getting him moving in the right direction. But I think I saw his record today. they only won 14 out of 53 games in charge, which when you think about Chris Hutton's record in the championship previously at Brighton and then at Birmingham and at, at Newcastle, it's staggering really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's won so few games. Um, I think it probably meant that the decision, I think they lost it against Middlesbrough, did they last night? So the decision today was probably that was an inevitability at that point. Feeling for him I think he's a good man. I think Forrest does a very, very tough job. Um but it's still a really good football club. And if somebody can get it right there, there's the the opportunity to put Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League. It probably won't be this season now. Um and we'll wait to see who who's next. They've had some big name relative in that league um big name managers uh you know you think Martin O'Neill had a brief spell there uh Chris Hughton they've had some good managers take i think Steve McLaren had a, a what might have been a very brief spell um but they've had some big names take that job in in the last few years uh managers who've been successful at other clubs um, and it's just never seemed to work out for any of them. Uh, they've tried the foreign managers, they've tried uh, English managers, they've tried experienced managers, they've tried younger managers. It's just, you know, nothing's quite clicked, and um, it'll be interesting to see where they go next.
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's just, yeah, never never quite never quite happened for them. But, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I like Chris Hutton. I think he's, he's, he seems a good man and, and a decent mm. manager, Um but yeah, it's been a poor start for them, and yeah, obviously they've decided. Yeah, you know, especially with so few games won on the record, maybe that was the only only decision they could make. Um, but uh, yeah, well, look, thanks for your your time and, and company, as ever, Paul. Um, we'll hopefully be back with a, a full strength squad um, sometime next week to, to talk about the the next round of Premier League games and any other any other stories around the world of football. Um, We are available on all the usual uh, audio streaming channels, so uh, iTunes and Amazon and Spotify and Podbean. um, So do have a listen and give us a shout-out. And we'll catch you all again very soon. Thank you.